from American Salon Magazine and .com. This is American Salon Stories, a weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. Welcome to the American Salon Stories podcast. I'm Gordon Miller, your podcast host and the CEO of Hairbrain.me. Our guest today, Eric Taylor, is the founder and CEO of Salon Republic, a game-changing salon suites organization offering private studio space to over a thousand independent professionals. Among them, more than a few really big-time social influencers whose privacy Eric is really good at protecting, so I'm not going to mention any names. There are 12 Salon Republic locations in three states, and I I know you're not going to be stopping there. In addition to his role as CEO, Eric is also host of the YouTube-based Salon Republic video series, The Hair Game. Welcome to the American Salon Stories podcast, Eric Taylor. Thank you, Gordon. How are you? I'm great, thanks. It's, it's so good to have you here. We don't know each other well, but we've, we've met a few times. And, and uh, because of social media, we know each other. We, we first met at, what, the American Board of Certified Hair Colorists a couple of years ago. You, you, showed up, memory. you showed up unexpectedly at, a, at an Instagram panel, uh, Nina Kovner, uh, who was there? Carlos Ramos, Sugar Skulls, right. Alexis Thurston, Low Wheelhouse. And you yep. and the, and you came up from the audience and said hi, and I'm I'm so glad you did. I and did. Uh, I've become kind of passionate about following what you're up to now. You're 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 oh. cha- you're changing the game a little bit out there in California. Well, thank you. I certainly try, and and you know that was a pivotal moment actually for me when when I went to that panel and uh, met you and everybody else there because it was it was kind of at the point at which. You know, I I was building our infrastructure, you know, for Salon Republic to allow me to do things in the industry. And I really didn't have a lot of time to go and do stuff like that. And I want to say it was a Saturday night or a Sunday night and it was late, right? It was like 8 p.m. or something. And I was very comfortable on the couch with my wife and my kids were, you know, comfortable in their beds. And and I had to get my ass off the couch. And I said, I've got to I've got to go do it. Because I've got to meet Gordon, I've got to meet Nina, I've got to meet everybody there, and um, and it's one of those things where you know it's an hour and fifteen minute drive, wow. right? And the whole way I'm thinking, is this going to be worth it? What am I doing, right? But it was one of the best things that I've done. Nina is a great friend of mine. I love Nina, Carlos. You know, I've got to know him pretty well. Um, I haven't met Alexis yet, but I know David, you know, pretty well now. And of course, I got to know you, and it and it really kind of launched my effort to you know branch out beyond the four walls of Salon Republic. That's so exciting, dear. I I love those kind of stories because um you know we we do these things somewhat randomly sometimes, but for that reason to hopefully inspire somebody to do something different in their life. So it it just makes me smile and it makes me feel really good. That was a pop up program, so you know it wasn't like you you know could plan a week in advance. Like we announced it a few days in, in advance on Instagram, and uh, you saw it. And you showed up. Kudos to you. That's right. And and actually, a funny little backstory. I we had a social media person at the time, and she was supposed to go, and she she called in sick for that. <laughs> and so, and so I thought, you know, I, I I'm just gonna go. And um, you know, I I'm kind of an introverted guy. Uh, you know, I was I was always introverted when I was um, you know younger. And and it's been a concerted effort for me to to not be that way. And um, so it was kind of, uh, you know, an, an effort like that, plus, you know, more over the last year or two, um, where I get such great benefit from doing those things that keep reinforcing 
how I need to get my ass off the couch. <laughs> well, I, I would say from from the accomplishments, which, which I'm going to let you talk about in the moment, you, you you don't spend as much time on the couch as maybe you think. So, uh, so <laughs> maybe so, not. So tell the audience, give give everybody um, the the kind of quick version of of who is Eric Taylor and Salon Republic from your point of view, and and also kind of share what a normal day in your professional life looks like. Sure. So, um, like you said, I'm the CEO. I'm the founder also of Salon Republic. I started the company seven. 17 years ago now, we opened our first location in Studio City, California in 2000. And, you know, we've grown uh, organically from probably, you know, 2000 to 2010, we grew organically. And then we've been slowly speeding up our growth since about 2010, 2011. And, um, you know, I I was uh, the only employee of this company, um, for the first three years uh, in, in our first location in Studio City, and I did everything myself, and I made a lot of mistakes. I was 23 years old at the time, and uh, you know I laid the tile myself, I hung the cabinets myself, I cleaned the bathrooms myself, and I did that for several years. And you know I, but I loved the business uh, because um, I, I, you know, I've got a, a penchant for art. My my mom is an artist, very successful artist. My dad is a business person. And so I grew up kind of seeing entrepreneurship and and my mom with her art studio upstairs in the house and my dad with his office downstairs in the house. And that was kind of how you made money. So I, I was always very interested in doing my own thing and, and combining art and business. Uh, my brother is kind of similar. He's an architect. So so that kind of led me to the business. And and uh, we're at 12 locations now. We have nine locations in Southern California. And um, we're, you know, building bigger and better locations. And we're adding, you know, things that our hairdressers love. And, you know, our, our goal on a daily basis is is uh, for happiness and success with all of our beauty professionals. Uh, that's, that's kind of our North Star. And, uh, you know, what I think about at night is ways to basically, you know, make them happier and more successful. So, so why the hair industry? I, I mean, I get the kind of the artsy part of things, the entrepreneurship, but a lot of people would be afraid to jump into this business for many reasons. So, <laughs> so what drew you to this? Okay. So I'm going to go back a little bit farther. So, um, when I was in college, I was studying finance because, uh, well, initially, actually, I, I started studying, um, uh, marketing because I thought it was kind of art oriented, creative, uh, creatively based. And, and the marketing teacher told us to go out and do some research on what somebody earns with a marketing degree coming out of college. And so I immediately got out of that (laughs) and, and, and went into the one that had the highest dollar sign next to it. And uh, maybe that wasn't the best decision, but, uh, you know, I learned things that, that, um, that were certainly valuable. I, I always wanted to do, uh, something on my own, and so I started studying unconsolidated businesses, essentially, is what I, what I did. I was, very, I was very nervous about what was going to happen to my lifestyle when I graduated from college. And, you know, I knew that, um, you know, I was going to be out on the street or at least, you know, worst case, I move in with my parents. But, you know, how exciting is that? So I, I started thinking about junior year. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I have to make money. And, and so I started, you know, looking at different things and salon services was one of the businesses. I got to know my barber very well and I got to know hairdressers well through, um, you know, my girlfriends and stuff like that. And it just seemed like it was a place where everybody enjoyed, uh, being, uh, clients and hairdressers. And, and it, and it seemed like, um, 
it seemed sort of native and organic, and it seemed like something that a 22-year-old could come into and and make a change. Now, um, I graduated, moved back home because I still didn't know what I was going to do, and um, but I was still looking at the hair business. And in Dallas, um, there's it's a very entrepreneurial sort of society because real estate prices are cheap, and you know there's oil money everywhere, so people try new things. And so there are different kinds of salons being built then. And so I, I went around and I literally just walked into um, every different type of salon and said, you know, I just graduated from college and I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, you know, can I talk to the, to the owner of the salon? I'm curious. And so sometimes that would be a five second conversation. Sometimes that would be a 30 minute conversation. But it was basic, basically just like market research, you know, very informal market research. So um, not too long after I started doing that, my girlfriend's hairdresser moved to a studio concept salon in Dallas. And she got home and she called me and she said, you really have to check this out. I've never seen anything like this. My hairdresser has never been this happy. She's on cloud nine. And the place is amazing. So it was probably that day that I drove. Down, it was like five minutes away from my house. Drove down to the salon walked in and I met the owner and the the original um, kind of uh, grandfather founder of the concept. And his name is Keith Clark. And Keith, I believe, is in, in his 80s right now. Keith, if you're listening, I apologize for not knowing that. But uh, Keith is an amazing person. We had a two-hour conversation right out of the gate. And I said, you know, this is who I am. And um, I love what you're doing here. It's so exciting. Can I just hang around? And so I did that. I hung around for about a year and uh, not unpaid, and he was my mentor. Um, now, Keith, uh, a little backstory on Keith, because I think it's very, very interesting. In the 60s and 70s, he was a barber in Amarillo, Texas, and he owned five salons at his peak with um, just traditional salons, And um, but he was spending all of his time on managing the drama and conflict between the hairdressers. So, at a certain point, he put, I, I don't remember if it was curtains or walls or something, you know, maybe, you know, half high pony walls in between the stations and it solved so many of the problems. So he got excited because he thought that he was really onto something. The hairdressers loved it. He loved it. You know, the front desk staff loved it. Everybody loved it. And so Keith basically sold those salons and he moved to Dallas to put up his own. And so I, I want to say his first, you know, attempt at this was in the 70s. And his first salon that he put up, which I call, I call them studio concept salons. So the first studio concept salon that he put up in Dallas was, I think, 1989. And so when I was working with him, uh, that was about 10 years after he had gotten to Dallas. And um, he had kind of improved on the model and, and started doing it a little bit differently. And, and so... I spent a lot of time there, got to know the hairdressers really well, got to know the clients and and essentially just learned the industry, learned the business. And um, and then I moved back to L.A. And I, my intention was to put up a a, a studio concept salon in, in L.A. It took me about two years and finally got uh, the Studio City location up. You know, I didn't have enough money. I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I, I had Keith helping, but, you know. A little bit, um, so I made a ton of mistakes. You know, you know, one of my favorite stories is when when I ordered the the uh, styling chairs and the shampoo bowls for the salon. The shipping company dropped them off on the sidewalk on Ventura Boulevard, and I said, "Okay, so when do you bring it up to the salon?" Because we were on the second level. Oh, and he's like, um, he's like, 
I'm not bringing those up. I, you know, I'm the driver. I just, I take them off the truck. And so he jumps in the truck and drives away. And so there was a wall of boxes, you know, probably 75 pounds each, maybe a hundred feet down the sidewalk along Ventura Boulevard. And I had no way to get them up to the salon other than just carrying them. And so I carried every single box up to the salon. It literally took me until night. And, um, you know, you do a lot of stupid things in the beginning. And, uh, but you, you jump feet first and you make mistakes and you learn and hopefully none of those mistakes kill you. And so that was basically the, that was basically the beginning. I love that. So, so many years later, what's a typical day like for you? So, you know, I, I'll get a little detailed, um, but you know, interesting. Um, so I wake up at, at 6.30 in the morning, uh, unless my kids wake me up before that and, you know, kiss the wife, roll over, grab my phone, uh, like a lot of people and uh, get on Instagram. I probably spend 30 minutes in the morning on Instagram, engaging with the Salon Republic, you know, hairdressers and commenting and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, I check my DMs, um, you know, I answer things. Uh, very important part of part of my day, of course. Check my emails, make sure that the that no salons burn down, and then I go through my routine. I eat a light breakfast. I jump in the car. It's a thirty minute drive to my office. Um, that drive to my office is one of my favorite times of the day because it's one of the few times where I can actually control the the external stimuli that are you know trying to get my attention. And I typically use that time with uh, podcasts and or um, audible. So I, I'm a very, I know that you're into audible. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> so I, I'm a very slow reader. I really, I get a lot from reading, but I am a slow reader and it's very, very difficult for me to, to keep my brain focused on the page. But, uh, during those 30 minutes, uh, I get a lot, I, I digest a great deal of content. And I, of course, make sure that it's very, very valuable content. So I, uh, and then I make my way to the office and I, I do one thing every day. And, and it's almost embarrassing to talk about because it's so internal. But, um, you know, I, I think to myself the same thing before I walk in the door of the office every day. And that is, you know, why am I doing this? And, um, y- you know, wh- what do I need, need to stay focused on? And, and those thoughts basically focus on... Um, the reason that we do it. And, and that is uh, to make hairdressers happier and more successful. And that, that's just it. And on a daily basis, I look for little clues of things that we're doing right and things that we're doing wrong. And the times that I get those Instagram posts or I get a DM or I get a you know, email or a, an in-person conversation with one of our hairdressers. And they tell me that, you know, they're having their, uh, you know, one year anniversary at Salon Republic and they were so afraid to move. They doubted themselves. They didn't think that they were good enough. They didn't think their clients would follow them. Uh, they weren't sure if they were responsible enough to take care of the things that they needed to do. Um, but they have never been happier, never been more successful. And they're so glad that they did it. That's what fills my heart. And that's what I think about every day before I enter the office door. Now, as I kind of think about this, you know, consciously, um, it reminds me of something that I did when I when I played baseball. I played baseball up into college and I was a pitcher. And there was one thing that I always did. And, and I don't think anybody else did it. But before the inning started, uh, there would be a huddle 
of the infielders and the pitcher and the catcher. And usually, you know, people would say, rah, rah, let's go kick their ass or something. But I always did the same thing. I would put my glove out. Everybody would put their glove out and I would say, let's have fun. And I would look at everybody and I would pause and say, let's have fun. And that was the reason that we were there. And that reason was lost as things got more serious, right? As you get into high school and all of a sudden you're looking at scholarships and all of a sudden, you know, the coach yells at you if you make a mistake, all of a sudden your parents start getting mad at you if you make a mistake. You know, let's remember why we're here and we're here to have fun. And so I I do that kind of subconsciously um, every day before I get in the office, because when I get in the office, it's like drinking from a fire hose. You know, um, I, I people are coming at me from every angle. I've got probably 50 emails before, you know, I, I even start the day. Um, there's just an ungodly amount of things that that we accomplish. You know, here in the office, we've got 10 to 15 people and uh, we all wear multiple hats. And, you know, we're a, we're kind of a small team, but we're mighty, as I like to say. <laughs> and um, and so, you know, throughout the day, it's kind of a melange of things like accounting and money issues, dealing with banks, dealing with our investors. You know, we, we have issues with current salons, staff, you know, salon managers, salon pros, you know, obviously marketing, um, PR, social media. I mean, you know, we have city inspectors. We have, we have to comply with city codes. There's landlords, lawyers, you know, it, it's, it's everything every day. And so the hardest part is to focus on something, especially something very important, and to make sure you do that at the end of the day. And so sometimes I'm in the office until, you know, seven or eight o'clock at night. So, and then I go home and that's it. <laughs> and I'll, bet you're, I'll bet you're tired. It sounds, sounds <laughs> exhausting. Of course, of course, I'm exhausted. And, and my wife, thankfully, my wife has learned after eight years of marriage that um, it's not an insult when she asks me what I did today and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, the last thing I want to talk about is my day when I get home. So, um, so uh, I fill her in, you know, on the weekends. <laughs> there you go. So I, I made a bunch of little notes because there's so many little things in here I, I, I love. Um, I have a degree in, in investment finance. So we have, I no think way. we, way. So, <laughs> yeah, minor in economics. Um, love it. Uh, yeah, use neither of them. Um, yes. Moved back home with mom and dad temporarily after that out of confusion and, and perhaps share some of the fear of that. That motivated me to do something different and led me to the beauty industry. <laughs> so I think Interesting. We, we share a little bit of that. We also share the, uh, I get up at 6.30 every morning, sometimes a little bit earlier. Uh, we share that. Go. And then yeah. my dad, my dad uh, was a little league coach and, oh. um, and um, was um, mortified in many ways that I, I, I did not follow in his footsteps as an athlete. He tried me in every single <laughs> position in, in preparation of getting me on his little league team, um, right. I ended up being the manager. But he, oh, good. but yeah, I, I was good with the numbers, not so much with the ball and the bat. Um, but um, but he started every game with exactly that same thing. He got the whole really? group together, and it was all about fun. We were the bad news bears. The team we lost just about every game there was ever to lose. And he always, <laughs> but he always took the whole team for ice cream afterwards, and and That's talked awesome. and talked about how important it was to have fun and made them feel good about themselves in spite of of losing and, and, but always motivate them to be better. So um, anyway, I love, I love your story. I love your yep, story. Thank you. Okay. So, wow. Um, you're in a, a unique and growing category. You're newer to the industry. Um, 10 years ago, you would have been one of the minions of Satan. 
and um, because you're because you live in that rental space, which I which I want to ask when you came into it, did you have any understanding that this was a, a category that some um, were challenged not only in understanding but appreciating? And did you um, did you sense any of that? Did you feel any of that when you were in Texas? Well, uh, what a great question! In, in Texas, um, uh, no, uh, the concept had been there a, a little bit longer. And I wasn't quite as attuned to the market there. When I got to LA, I knew that it was going to be a little bit like dropping a, a boulder into a stagnant pond. And that was going to ruffle a lot of feathers. I think I was aware enough to, to know that. Um, however, if we could offer something that uh, people enjoyed, that hairdressers enjoyed, that's all that mattered. You know, it, it seemed to me that from the time that I first started looking at the industry, most salons took the approach that the most important thing um, was the salon and the hairdressers were there to support the salon. And if a hairdresser wasn't cutting their muster, then they were told to leave and a new hairdresser was brought in who would be there to support the mission and the salon and the salon owner. And what I saw with Keith's first salon was the opposite. I saw the value in the salon being there to support the beauty professional because it's really the beauty professional that brings the client in. You know, a haircut is not a commodity. If you take three hairdressers and line them up, they're each going to cut a head differently. And so that's a special and unique experience. And so when a, when a client needs a service done, uh, hopefully they found a hairdresser who does it the way that they want it. They're going to keep going to that hairdresser. So, so uh, my perspective was: let's build um, the best salon that we can build to to make our to make our people happiest and uh, to make it so they can make the most money. And and they're going to come. They're going to follow, and their clients are going to follow them. And so it that was kind of the different perspective that I took on it. I know that salon owners dislike me. I've known that from the beginning. Um, I I have many salon owner friends, and so you know they they kind of have love hate relationships with me, uh, but they're very honest, and uh, you know they commend me for you know the salons that we put up and the you know the level of hairdresser that we've been able to attract, and 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 they see that there is a place in the market for us. So you know. I think from a general perspective, we're simply another option for mm -hmm. hairdressers. I agree. We're not, we're not the best option for every hairdresser. And some people are, are surprised when they hear me say this, but I mean, there's no doubt that having your own studio and, and being responsible for everything um, is, is not for everyone, but it's for a lot of people. And for those people, they're able to... Uh, uh, no longer fit into somebody else's world. They're, they no longer have to abide by the dress code uh, that somebody else is enforcing upon them. They no longer have to show up at a certain time if they don't need to show up. They can work on the clients they want to. They can charge the prices they want to. They can just do extensions if they just want to do extensions. They can work the way they want to work. And so we believe that uh, many hairdressers are happier and more successful when they're able to work how they want to work. So for that demographic of the hairstylist community, um, we work very well for them. And I, you know, I, I guess I would add to that, that well, first of all, I, I 
agree with everything you're saying. Um, but I would add as, as context that I think that, as you kind of say, you know, it's not for everybody. And I, I have a good friend who, who recently, I'll do it as a story, um, was is considering career options. Is it in a traditional salon, successful salon, relatively successful hairdresser, kind of hit that wall financially, looking at his next options. And every time I, I talk to him, he's like, I, I think I'm going to go rental. I think I'm going to go rental. And looking at suite opportunities, looking at more traditional rental salons and and um, all good choices, you know, potentially. But I finally had the conversation with him and, and said, okay, uh, well, let me just ask you a couple questions. If you didn't have to be in the salon by 10 a.m., would you be there every day at 10 a.m.? If you were given that option not to be on time, if you didn't have that pressure. And he's like, well, <laughs> I'm not so sure. I was like, okay, if you didn't, and I went down the list, if you didn't have to, if someone didn't tell you to do certain things, would you be able to? Would, do you think you would be as successful as you have been in the salon that you're in? And he finally came to the conclusion that no, he was he was not that kind of self-driven, self-motivated person. Um and the more he then separately went out and reconsidered options to go independent, he realized that he just wasn't that person. And I think, again, that's why I think what, what you're doing is, is, is so incredible because it's, it has brought new options into the marketplace. And, and it's important that people have options. And I have been in this business a very long time, and I've seen a lot of people in all the different models who have hit walls. And if it wasn't for some other business model, they perhaps would not have their career continue. So it's great. Right. It's great that that from that perspective. Thank you. And you know, I I would say to somebody who who talks to me about um, you know their their next step, you know, if if you had a 10 a.m. client, you know, are are you not going to show up for your 10 a.m. client? If, if that client was going to pay you three hundred dollars for you know a two hour service, and that three hundred dollars all went into your pocket, and you can sell them product. And you're going to make a $50 profit on the product that you're going to sell them. Are you not going to show up at 10 a.m.? It's it's a different it's a different mindset when you work for yourself and you realize the benefits and the upside of working for yourself. There's things that you can do that you maybe never thought about uh, that you could actually do before. I and I agree with that completely. But I would still add that that you have to, it's one thing having an appointment, it's another thing having a, an open day. And, and are you that person who has the drive to do the things that you need to do to drive your business forward when you don't have someone in your chair? And I think that's, right. using my friend as an example, that, that was his challenge. I, I, and I think he would absolutely, he would be there at eight o'clock if, if there was a client on the book. The question would be, you know, does he have the self-discipline to do some of the other things it takes to, to, to propel himself forward? So, but anyway, it's, it's, you know, fascinating uh, that people have all these options. And so let's stay on that topic for a minute. What would you say are, you know, a few of the kind of bullet point critical items that, that a person is, who's going through a self-assessment um, should look for in themselves to be successful in an independent situation? What a great question. So they, of course, have to look at their clientele. And they they have to look at how they treat their clientele. Do do they care about uh, hospitality? Um, do they care about the experience that that their clients get when they come to the salon? Do they care about being on time for their client? Right? Um, do, do they care about uh, taking on a little more responsibility for a lot more money? Um, do, do they? Um, uh, do they want to get out in the industry and and meet people? 
Do they want to take advantage of the independent educational opportunities that are out there? Um, how much do they rely on what the commission salon provides to them? You know, some commission salons do a hell of a job. There is no doubt about it. Some do a an absolutely amazing job. And I take my hat off to them and say, wow, I, I don't know how you do it because there's so much involved to being a good owner and manager of a commission salon with all that's involved. But some, some salons don't operate that well. So they don't offer the really valuable education. They don't offer this grand ideal of teamwork that people love to talk about. You know, th- there are some really awesome teams. You know, I've, I see them and, and I know them. We have amazing teams at Salon Republic. You know, one of the things that we do is not just offer individual studios for people, but we offer larger studios and we offer flexible space. So a group of stylists can come in and be at, uh, and operate as a great team. So, um, you know, you really have to look at the options. A, a hairdresser has to look at the options in their market and say, the salon that I'm at, you know, is the booking service that the front desk gives me, um, is, it, is it that much more valuable than, you know, using an online service or doing it myself? Um, is the education um, that valuable to, to me? Or have I not gone to one of the, educate, the free educations in two years um, because it's not good enough? Um, you know, uh, I'm going to look at the other options in the market and try to, you know, assess, um, you know, where I'm going to be um, the, the happiest. And, you know, I, I don't think it's really a bad thing for a hairdresser to move from one salon to another in, in a market. Of course, there's risks to it. But when you look at, you know, the average employee in the average job in the U.S., I think the duration is something like three years. So, you know, I don't know why it's so bad for a hairdresser to move after four or five years that they've been in the same salon. I think it's, I think it's actually kind of normal. I, so, I, w- I would agree with that. I've said it many times. It's, it's, uh, it's, you're spot on. I think it takes a lot of self-awareness, um, really good, honest, um, you know, uh, a deep look inside of yourself and your, and your behaviors and your goals. You know, one thing that I've always kind of done naturally is I look out, you know, two, five and 10 years and I say, what, what do I want to look like in 10 years? And then I reverse engineer that. And I think, you know, a hairdresser should do the same thing. What do they want to look like in two years or five years? I mean, do, do they want to be a platform artist? Do they want to be working for a brand? Do they want to have a busier chair? Do they want to be keeping a larger percentage of, of what they produce? Um, do, do they want to get more of the profit coming out of the, the product sales? Um, do they still want to be told what to wear every day? Um, you know, and, and if, you, if a hairdresser wants to stay in a salon, do the same exercise for that salon. What is this salon going to look like in two years? So if, if I want to look like, you know, X, Y, and Z in, in two years, is this salon going to provide for that? Is it going to look like something that, that can give me that same opportunity? There's so many opportunities in this business. It's one of the things that is just mind-blowing to me. I mean, there's people who can, you know, graduate from beauty school and never work behind the chair. You know, they can work for a manufacturer. They can be in marketing. They can do all sorts of stuff. They can work for a hairbrained. You know, they can work for an American salon. There, there's just so many opportunities in different in, uh, in different avenues, you know, to satisfy what everybody wants. And I, I want to go back to um, 
I guess a comment on, on what you're saying, um, maybe a caveat. Um, so we're talking to the CEO founder of, I think, one of the most respected salon suite organizations um, in the country. Um, and if, we, if I was talking to one of the most respected commission salon owners, I'd probably offer this, the same caveat, which is, you know, um, when you are looking at any segment of the market, you know, ask yourself all those questions and more about any opportunities in front of you, because you are the exception, not the rule, I would say, in terms of the business model and what you provide to your customers, and which is fantastic. So, you know, a great reason to consider being there. But I also know that there are other organizations in that category and in every single category of salons who don't do it so well. And so, and I think that's just always important to say to everybody, you know, um, sure. no matter, no matter what your options are. And look, and, 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 you know, to be totally frank in, in, in my segment of our business, there's people who do what I do very poorly. That's you my, know? that's and, my and, point. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> there's people who do all sorts of different kinds of salons very well and, and very poorly. Now, you know, what in, in this, I'm very conscious about all of this, and I think our team is very conscious of it. And so, you know, we want to bridge the gap between, you know, the great things that a commission salon offers and, and the great things that maybe having your, your own storefront offers, you know, on Main Street. Um, without, of course, the, the downside of a commission salon and the downside of, of having your own storefront. And so, you know, we have weekly education somewhere in LA or Del Mar, um, free weekly education, and it's high quality education. It's hands-on, you know, hands-on balayage. Uh, you you want to learn this technique because let's say you're a 60-year-old hairdresser and it, that trend has kind of passed you by and maybe you're losing people because you can't do that. You know, come to this class. It's free. And uh, we do that every single week. Um, you know, we make buying products easier. So we have a beauty supply in every location in California where we offer our products cheaper than everybody else. And we subsidize those, dis those discounts. So, uh, you know, we, we make it possible for people to do things that they weren't previously able to do. And, um, and that, that's, that's what gets us up in the morning. You know, one thing that, that's interesting to me is that, and it, it, it it's definitely, I'm sure it has an impact on the business. And I, I think it's part of why you are so successful. Um, a traditional salon owner, and again, there's many categories in that traditional um, sure. category. There's, there's, a, there's a, the independent commission salon, there's the chain salon, you know, that's independent. There's the single chair, which is not rental per se, but a single operator owner. Um, and then there's the category that you're in, which really separates to me foremost um, from the rest, separates you foremost from the rest, is that your customer is not the client walking in the door that the hairdresser takes care of. Your customer um, is actually the hairdresser. And That's right. So talk about that a little bit, because so much of what you've, you've talked about, I think it kind of, there's, I see a dotted line to that kind of big idea, you know, because mm -hmm. they're your customers. So that is true. I mean, our I call them direct customers and indirect customers. So our direct customers are our beauty professionals. Our indirect customers are their clients. So they're both customer customers of ours. You know, the if you want to look at if you want to trace the money that feeds the system, it comes from the clients, right? So we want to make sure that we have big parking lots, that it's convenient 
You know, if we need valet, we have valet. It's reasonably priced, easy to find, all of those things. We have a um, at least one full-time salon manager in the front of each of our locations. In some of our larger locations, we have two salon managers that sit there. And a lot of what they do is just helping the clients find their way. And then, of course, um, you know, if they need a a taxi called or whatever, we don't have taxis anymore. But, you know, if if they need, you know, certain hospitable things uh, that a traditional salon provides, uh, we can provide that. So we definitely don't ignore the clients. Um, However, we treat the clients uh, very much like they are the clients belonging to the hairdresser. So we please we please both of them. I love that. It's a, it's a very customer centric focus, which again most of my really successful, more traditional salon owners have. But again, you you've got kind of a two lanes of focus when it comes to customers, which I I, I do think helps explain some of your success. You know, I I consider it kind of the same lane. Maybe it's a maybe it's a uh, one lane for cars and the, in the other lane for bikes. Okay. But, but, but they're but parallel. Both lanes, both lanes are traveling in the same direction. Yes. So, you know, our direct customers, the hairdressers are happier and more successful if we can also uh, take care of their clients a little bit better, right? Whether it's through, uh, you know, the right bathroom in the right place or the right parking lot or somebody to take care of them at the front of the salon or, or something like that. Um, we, we definitely engage quite a bit with, with their clients. And so we figure if, if we do a good job taking care of the clients, uh, then, then our main customer, the hairdresser is going to be happy about that. So it's, it's all part of, you know, the, the kind of complexity of operating one of these things, you know, a lot of people and over the years have said to me, gosh, it's so easy. You just clip coupons, you know, from the rental payments. And I'm like, you know, there are some people who do, you know, in kind of in the same business of what we do, who do that. Um, but we do not do that. It's actually pretty complicated. Um, all the the balls that we juggle and things that we balance. And so, you know, we've over the last 17 years, we've slowly gotten better and better at it. I love it. So, so one of my favorite questions is is to ask about best advice that you have ever received uh, professionally and, and, and why that might um be relevant to our audience. So, so let's go with that one. Best advice, hands down, was from a very, very successful business person, billionaire, in fact, a friend of mine. And um, he has repeated probably for the last 20 or 30 years of his life, the same thing. And that is to, um, to what he calls operate on the outside of the envelope. And that's, you know, his metaphor for get out, get out of your comfort zone. If you imagine being inside the envelope, kind of in the comfortable confines of the envelope, that's your comfort zone. But you've got to, you know, get on the outside and you've got to operate and teeter on the edges of of that envelope. And as long as you spend as much time as possible operating on those edges, almost like the cliff, you know, operating on the cliff, um, you're you're going to get better and better and better at um, at whatever you're doing. Of course, you're going to get more comfortable doing the things that were not comfortable previously, right? And you're going to learn how to do uncomfortable things. You're going to get the confidence to do uncomfortable things. And then you just, you know, you just move forward and you start breaking down barriers. I mean, it's like what I said before, you know, with, with our beauty professionals, 
sometimes it's uncomfortable, you know, going into a studio by yourself. But the, the, the happiest thing that I experience in my life, other than my family, is when somebody breaks down those barriers and is very successful and says to themselves, holy shit, I did it. That's good. That's good stuff. I like, I like that a lot. I've never heard that. That's a good one. And, and, and look, I mean, and this, is, this is how I live. And, and I, I became more conscious about it and, and better at doing that after he told me that. You know, before that, I always knew, you know, get out of your comfort zone, whatever. But, you know, it kind of gave it more of a visceral sort of effect. And, and I, that's one of the things I think about every day. You know, how do I operate on the, on the, um, the edges of the envelope? Something else you talked about that you do every day is, is how you walk into your business. And I, I want to kind of go back to that because it seems like you kind of have a way of setting your day in the right direction by being thoughtful and having intention around that. Um, talk a little bit more about that and, and how important you feel that is uh, perhaps to anybody. You know, um, f- f- I, I'm going to talk about it personally because I think it translates to, to many other people. But with, uh, with the cell phones that we have today and the constant communication and Instagram as awesome as it is and as much as I use it, we have external stimuli who are attacking us at, at all uh, times of the day. And so you could, and I have, spent all day doing nothing but absorbing and responding to external stimuli, right? Only to be going to bed at night thinking, I didn't get anything done today. Like I had to do this and that and this and that that are really important and they're real consequences if I don't do them. And I didn't do them because all I did was, you know, act like a pincushion for um, what everybody else wanted to send my way. So, you know, I've become more conscious, like especially in the last maybe two years, you know, ever since Instagram really started picking up with our business and, and um, you know, I, I started using it more as a tool to just connect with our own Salon Republic hairstylist. Um, I, I probably spend three to four hours a day on Instagram. So, you know, as this has happened, um, I've gotten more conscious about, okay, I, I want to do that because that's super important, but how do I also do this? You know, how do I manage the business that I have now? And how do I manage the business that I want to be in two, five, and 10 years? And it's typically those, those super valuable, long-term types of uh, endeavors that get pushed to the side. And so it's just remember for me, it, it's literally just remembering this is what we're here for. We're, we're here to make our customers happier and more successful, the beauty professionals that, you know, take the risk to, to come into SR. And, and that's what makes me happy, you know, inside. And this is the next really big thing that I need to accomplish. So, um, you know, and, and to get even more granular with you, in the last three days, um, for me here in the office, it's been working through the, the floor plan, the architectural f- floor plan for um, for a new location that's going into LA. And we agonize and agonize over the floor plans, where the shampoo units go, where to where do the electrical receptacles go? What kind of lighting are we going to use? How are we going to how are we going to make the door? How are we going to arrange it? How will somebody like it more? And we spend weeks and weeks and weeks doing that. And sometimes those those uh, sort of endeavors where it takes a lot of deep thought and zero distractions are the hardest to actually do, but they're the most valuable. And the little things really do matter. So, uh, oh, the details are everything. 
and and it's the details that get pushed the side when the phone is bzz, 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 you know and and the, and it rings and it texts and it's you know oh Janice wants to go to lunch or you know all these little things it's it's very difficult good advice good stuff um so speaking of phones again we 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 met um because of a because of a phone i guess in instagram and and that lives on a phone we'll say it that way um Social media is, is a big part of everybody's life these days, it feels like, both personally and, and, and actually, I hope professionally. Uh, I always say if, if it wasn't for the work that I love so much and for the power that I think these platforms have to drive people's careers forward and businesses forward, I, I don't know that I would be involved with social media. I love it professionally. I'm passionate about it. And from a personal perspective, eh, you know, I could, totally I could be, agree. I could be without it. Um, yep. So um, as someone who's connected to a lot of people who have gotten a lot of good out of these platforms, um, give us your take from the professional side of life um, on social media, w- big picture. What do you think it means? I, I think it's, um, it, it's become so important now that it's almost hard to convince someone that you exist if you're not on Instagram, if you're in the hair business. And I'll bring up the example that that I deal with occasionally with my own wife. She'll say, you know, um, so-and-so's, let's say, moving uh, moving out of the state or whatever. I need a new hair colorist or I need a new um, hair cutter. You know, who should I go to? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I know that, um, you know, hairdresser one, two and three is really good. And, and, you know, you should you could go to any of them. And she's like, what's our Instagram handle? And so she goes on there and she's like, oh, they, um, you know, they haven't posted in three weeks. I'm like, yeah, but they're really good. I mean, I know, right? I know. Trust me. She's like, eh, I don't know. You know, hairdresser B, um, she has a lot of great pictures and, you know, I have short, fine blonde hair and she has a lot of pictures of really great short, fine blonde hair. So I'm going to go to her. I'm, I, and I would be like, I, she's really good too. Um, but you, you really don't want to try a, you know, you don't trust me. You trust Instagram over me. That's how important it is. My own wife doesn't trust me. She trusts Instagram more. And, and she was late to the social media game. I was late to the social media game. You know, I'm 41. And so I didn't grow up with it necessarily. I, I was on MySpace uh, for fun, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't on there, wasn't on there much. And I was late to Facebook and Frankly, I don't really like going on there for personal reasons. I, like when I go through my personal life, I, I don't really enjoy thinking I'm going to dinner now. I'm going to broadcast the fact that I'm going to dinner now. You know, I, I don't I, I don't see that there, there's a great deal of value in that. Um, from a business perspective, um, it, it's a way for me to connect to all of our people. And so for that reason, it's invaluable. So if you look at my Instagram page, you know, I post every five days or whatever, not that big a deal. I'm not that intentional, frankly, about what I post on mine. It, it's all for engaging with our people. And like I said, about four hours a day, I do that. Um, so, you know, for the beauty professionals out there, um, you know, I have these conversations on a one-on-one basis all the time. Um, please, you know, carve out parts of your day and try to get really, really good at Instagram. Because as we get older, as we start moving forward, as the years click by, it's going to become more and more important. And if you don't have a pretty good presence on Instagram, 
in the hair business, um, it's going to get harder for you to replace the clients that you lose just through natural attrition. What's also fascinating to me is as someone who was, from a business perspective, a very early adopter, I was definitely one of the earlier people in the business and really paying attention and fascinated with it and saw the potential you know, very early on. Watching the curve, though, of how it has grown and changed, I'm fascinated with the idea that we're going to reach a point of critical mass where the majority are good at it. And what happens when everybody's good at it? What happens when everybody's a good marketer? Because at the end of the day, the consumers have so many choices today. It's never been as competitive. So in in many ways, the best marketers have probably the best opportunity to win. And Mm -hmm. with these platforms, as more and more people learn to be great, um, it's going to be interesting to see where that takes us. And I think where it's going to take us is back to where we started, um, which is that service and what happens behind the chair will be more important than ever, acknowledging that it's it's very critical already. There's no doubt about that. I, I think, though, that there's a lot of room to go. Oh, yes. you know, I, oh yes. th- There's a lot of people who are very good at it. And of course, every day, you know, people get better at it. But there's still I, I, I mean, if you know, if I were to just guess from my anecdotal experience, I mean, I would say about 90% of hairdressers could get better at the content that they post, uh, whether it's the quality of the content that they post or the, um, or the amount or how often they do it, um, and, and easily, right, just with a ring light, just buy a ring light or, or get more conscious about the light source in your studio. Um, I think we've got years before it, it kind of hits that critical mass. You know, I, I maybe from from this from the standpoint of someone who looks at the broader industry, um, the number of uh, influencers who are really really good at taking pictures and really really great at hair, and their content is is fantastic. It is seeming a little overwhelming. You know, I I I I feel that I, I see that. Um, but from the standpoint of a hairdresser who wants to be successful behind the chair. Um, who works in, you know, Westlake Village, California, um, they're competing with the other people on Instagram uh, who have done a really great job at uh, Instagram in Westlake Village, California. And that's probably five people. No, I, and I agree completely. It's, it is moving so quickly, though. I think in two years, it's going to be a whole different game. And I think more importantly, I think for individuals, it's, it is exactly what's happening in that neighborhood. And as you become better, um, your competitors are going to start to pick that up because they always do, and I and I'm 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 in no way diminishing the power of it because I think it's everything, and I think everybody should be in it a hundred percent and and then some. But I also because I guess of the life I live in beauty, I can't help but take big step backwards and go, hmm, where is all this headed? What does it mean? And um, that's the fun part of my brain. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I I think in the in the midterm. Um, there, you know, there will be a larger percentage of people who are really, really good at it. Um, and that, that will kind of level the playing field. And, um, and, you know, I see chairside manner and I see hospitality and customer service as just crazy important right now. And it was crazy important 10 years ago and 40 years ago, and it'll be crazy important in five years and 10 years from now. But what, what we focus on here in the office is those daily conversations with our hairdressers where, you know, I stand in their studio with my phone and I hold it up and I have us on the screen and I'm like, look, as we turn, 
if you face the client this way, that's no good because there are shadows and it looks horrible. If we turn this way, that's where the light source is coming in and look how good that looks. And it's amazing how many people still don't understand it. And so that's one of the reasons we created the hair game. I mean, the hair game is basically a way for me to scale the conversations that we have with our hairdressers every day, whether it's just the the simplicity of taking a better picture, buying a decent uh, phone with a decent camera, um, being conscious about raising your prices, um, or you know, getting out and uh, getting out of the four walls of Salon Republic and and seeing what else is out there, educationally and you know, industry relations and all that stuff. So, what you're talking about is your is your YouTube show? Do we want to call it a show? How do you refer to? So I, I technically, I guess it's a vlog, okay. video vlog, right? It, it's not, it's not, <laughs> I don't even know if that's the right term for it, but it, it lives on our uh, website, salonrepublic.com forward slash the hair game. And, uh, you know, YouTube is kind of the host of the videos and, um, and it's a podcast. So, you know, we take the video, we take the audio from, you know, the video production that we do, and we put it on a podcast and um, the video, of course, lives on the website. And we talked to people, you know, our first uh, video was Andrew Does Hair, who I know you know very well. And Andrew has done so many things in his, his career really well. Shout out to Andrew. And in the video, um, you know, I, I'm very curious about kind of how he's approached things from a business perspective. And so he, he talks about all those things. And and these are very, very valuable things for any hairdresser, not, you know, necessarily in a, in a private studio, but, but hairdressers who are in all sorts of different working environments. It's very important stuff. No, it's great. I, I was, um, I watched, um, Tab, Tab, um, Salzman. Salzman. And, yep. um, cuts hair on Instagram. Yeah. And he's got, he, he, he has a bag that he's created Yep. And I'm a fan of, I know we, we featured it in an American salon and I'm constantly recommending it to everybody. And um, he, uh, I remember, it's kind of a, a side story here, but I, I remember um, him showing the bag and he, I think he said a, a Mary Poppins moment because I, right. and I give you, I give you kudos as a, um, as a video and podcast producer that you right on, you had the Mary Poppins music as he, yes. <laughs> as he emptied this bag. It was like a clown car that more and more stuff right. kept coming out of, but it was real. And yes. um, he's a smart guy. In fact, we mentioned audible sure. earlier and um, he recommended a book. I'm, I just started listening to it. Tab, if you're listening, I now have how to create a living, breathing corporation. Uh, the chief culture officer by Grant McCracken. I'm on the first chapter and so far so good. Oh, cool. And so love audible and a recommendation yeah. from, from tab. What what's coming up with the show? Because I, I, everyone that I've listened to has been fantastic. As you say, it's, for, you. it's for anybody. You do a really good job. It's very engaging. You've got great guests. Um, anything coming up that you can tell us about? Well, we're, um, I, I did an interview with none other than Nina Kovner yesterday. You've never heard of her, have you? <laughs> yeah, shout out to Nina. And passion, to Nina. And, and passion Squared. And Passion Squared. So we interviewed her on Wednesday and that was really great. Um, you know, the, the information that she provides through Passion Squared is so valuable for every, every hairdresser. And, and so we wanted to interview her and, We'll interview, um, we'll keep interviewing people. We'll, uh, you know, Ricky Zito will do an interview and Philip Wolf will do one, Alfredo Lewis, um, you know, guys like that. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to do like um, how-to videos. Um, you know, we'll, we'll start documenting the education that takes place, you know, at Salon Republic already. 
Um, you know, I, I, I really want to do things like um, I, I want to get a, an accountant on film and I want to talk about, um, you know, taxation and things that people need to be aware about, uh, aware of things like, you know, if you're a you know self-employed hairdresser, whether it's a, in a studio or in a just booth rent salon, I mean, can I ride off the miles from my car? You know, how often is that talked about? But yet, very valuable stuff. So, you know, I, I want to basically just scale the conversations. These are literally the conversations that I have with our hairdressers, you know, every week. And so, I, I just I I, I want to scale that and make sure that everybody has all the information. Uh, so that they can uh, they can be their best. Well, I recommend it highly, and as you said, it's on your website and it's Thank on you. YouTube and on on podcast platforms. Um, I've watched the videos, and I now I'm going to have to make sure I connect on the podcast platforms. But where are you? Yeah. On iTunes and um, you know Google Play. Uh, one of the um, I forgot what they're called. You know, you download one of the podcast uh, broadcast uh, apps. I'm an Apple guy, so I had to kind of figure it out on Android, but. I think you, you like download Overcast or one of the other 50 podcast um, apps and uh, you can find it on there. It's called The Hair Game. Cool. Yeah. And we I, we actually use the Stitcher app for Android. So I totally sure. get what you're talking about. Um, okay. So I, I love to ask every, we're talking about podcasts. And, and so um, I'm not saying that this will lead you to podcasts. I, I want to leave it open for you. But, but I do want to ask you um, if there's anything that you are reading or watching or listening to um, or obsessing about um, one or more that you'd like to share with the audience you think it'd be good for them to maybe pay attention to? Yes, I knew you were going to ask. So I tried to boil the list down because I do a lot of obsessing. But <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely watch all of yours. I love yours. And so I, I hope that you continue to do it. Thank you. Uh, I love, um, I just finished Good to Great by Jim Collins. Oh, it's a book. great book. I mean, just phenomenal. Yep. Really phenomenal. It took me forever to get through it. Yes. I mean, I'm such a loser when it comes to like flying through books, but um, I got through it and and it's just just amazing. Uh, start with why. Yeah. You know, I'm in the middle of it. Simon Although Sinek. I, yeah, Simon Sinek. Um, I've, I've heard his, all of his speeches, so I don't know if I'm wasting my time or not, but you know, no, if somebody hasn't seen a speech or read the book, they should definitely do that. Yep. Um, you know, I get daily, uh, emails from Seth, Seth Godin. Me right? as well. We, we, I mean, how, how good is, I know you do too, because you, you posted about it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I read the wall street journal as much as I can, which is probably every other day, you know, just to get my news. Um, if I, if I don't catch it like on my Kindle, then I get it on my podcast. I get like a five minute rundown. Um, I listen to how I built this podcast. Mm-hmm. If, if you know that one. I do. And, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, I've read all of his books and I listen to, I'm listening to his podcast now. Yep. And I, I'm uh, waiting, I'm waiting for the next episode. I'm, I'm all caught up on him and I love his podcasts. They're great. I know he only does like six or right at a time and then he disappears forever. But, um, and then the last one that, that I'll leave you with that I've really enjoyed is called masters of scale. And, and the host is Reed Hoffman, you know, the LinkedIn founder and, um, that that's a really great one. I don't know that. I don't know that one. I, I everything you've mentioned, I was like, now I feel out of it. So tell what is Masters no. of Scale about? Masters of Scale is basically about um, it, it, it. It's about how companies and and primarily tech on this podcast because he's a tech guy and he's a venture capitalist. But it's primarily about um, how companies have started and grown to where they are now, and he gets detailed. And, and I love the detail. And, you know, that's why I tried to give you a, 
you know, a detailed version of my everyday because, you know, it's one thing, oh yeah, I do this and I do that. And it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then it just happened, poof, right? But to get into the detail, I think is is very, very interesting. And, and he's really good at knowing, um, you know, what inflection points happen. And he starts like, you know, hitting on those inflection points, you know, with his subjects. And, uh, and you get a lot of really, really great detail. I, of course, I, I, I love um, that you've got a lot of podcasts on your list. We're, we're obviously, we're on a podcast. Like I said, I, I, I'm following all, all but that one. I want to go back to Seth Godin, though, um, who's not really a podcaster. Um, you know, it's his, his blog, as you say, and I, I'm a reader of all his books. I just listened to Tribes again on Audible. Um, I'm going to see, I'm, I've got a selfie scheduled with him. Um, I'm the only person who's pre-scheduled a selfie wow. <laughs> with, with Seth. I um, love it. At Ideologue, uh, which is this weekend. Yeah, that I, I uh, uh, watch for it on um, probably probably on Sunday, um, but uh, agree with your recommendation. He's he's genius, um, yeah. and um, you and I are going to have to shoot ourselves um, some recommendations, um, further further stuff on the list. Tell us where um, our audience can find you. They can find Salon Republic online on social. What's the best way to to track everything down? Um, the best place for me is Instagram. That's the number four, Eric with a C. Taylor for Eric Taylor on Instagram and Facebook. I mean, I'm, I'm there, but Instagram so much better. Um, Salon Republic is Salon Republic on Instagram and Salon Republic on Facebook. But again, we're more active on Instagram and, uh, and the hair game, like I said, is salonrepublic.com forward forward slash the hair game, or you could just go to salonrepublic.com and there's a, you know, menu link there goes to the hair game. And then, of course, the podcast for the hair game is is uh, where you find your podcasts. All good stuff. Um, Eric Taylor, founder and CEO of Salon Republic, um, super smart guy. I I have enjoyed this so much. You're making a, a mark on the industry. You're you're making a, a positive mark in, in the lives of many many professionals. I hear so many good things about you and, and about your organization. And I and I have to say to our audience, um, you know, we do these as I mentioned by Skype. Um, we record the audio, but I get to see you. And I, I just yeah. have, I have to say, you know, you just have such great hair. <laughs> I, I, for the whole podcast, I've been wanting to say, damn, he's got good hair. And um, you, you know a few people, I guess, and that's part of it. Uh, but <laughs> well, I'm definitely spoiled when it comes to to uh, barbers and hairdressers. Well, and well, and I'm I'm not loyal at all, by the way. And, then, and they're all. <laughs> They all know how disloyal I am. I, I go around and I try everybody out. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Eric, again for being with us. Um, this has been a, a real pleasure. And uh, I look forward to seeing you and talking to you again really soon. Thanks, Gordon. Me too. Thanks so much. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow American Salon on Instagram, where we're known as American underscore Salon, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to the Daily Beauty Fix e-newsletter. This is American Salon guest contributor and Hairbrain CEO, Gordon Miller. And I can't wait to bring you another American Salon Stories podcast next week. 